Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Friday, January 20th. 2023, good morning and welcome to our special March for Life edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and our studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of your morning on this historic day here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This morning we're going to talk about the issue of life with a great lineup of national pro-life leaders from the 50th annual National March for Life in Washington, D.C., the first march since Roe v. Wade was overturned last June 24th on the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Former Planned Parenthood Clinic Director Abby Johnson will be joining us from the march in just a few minutes. You can always find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show and send us an email, our address, morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, Relevant Radio reached a big milestone yesterday. Uh, we finally reached 500 million memoraries uh, off to end abortion in our nation. This is truly just the beginning of making our country pro-life. If you can't make it to the March for Life, uh, you can still uh, join this new beginning by signing up to pray and fast in solidarity with the marchers at the March for Life. It's still not too late, folks. You can uh, sign up this morning at relevantradio.com fast and receive our free downloadable booklet, The Choice is Love, to help you answer the most pressing questions uh, facing the the abortion debate uh, with compassion and uh, church-grounded teachers. I want to bring in our morning air team, Glenn and Sarah. Good morning. It's a, it's a big day. I'll start with Sarah. Sarah uh, we're hearing from folks all across our country and around the world. Uh, uh, how are different uh, people participating uh, in this uh, Fast for Life? Well, no meat for Mary in Makawao, Hawaii. She'll be fasting from that today and visiting the sick and elderly and also she said she's going to offer up a rosary for the unborn. We've also got Peggy in Wisconsin. She says she's new to the Catholic faith, so she really hasn't fasted for an entire day, but she's going to try it. So, hey, you don't know until you try, Peggy. Uh, finally, Lily in Winstead, Virginia. She says she's given up cream in her coffee breakfast and praying an extra rosary in front of the blessed sacrament and this part this one last thing is things like this is going to be the hardest thing she's given up wordle now if you don't know what wordle is it's very addictive you got to guess that six letter word in, in six tries Ooh, that's going to be a hard one but i think she can do it thanks for checking in lily Peggy and Mary. I love it. Uh, so many folks, thousands and thousands of, uh, of people across our nation and uh, even internationally uh, are, are part of this uh, Fast for Life. And you can do it uh, too. It's not too late to join. Even if you've had breakfast, uh, you can still be part of hashtag Fast for Life. You can sign up this morning at relevantradio.com slash fast. Uh, Glenn, uh, the uh, March for Life, of course, is the big story on this Friday morning. Uh, what are uh, some of the uh, uh, key stories you're keeping an eye on. Well, with that march, expecting tens of thousands, again, a large contingent of young people from around the country, and we'll have 
updates throughout the morning and throughout the day here on Relevant Radio with that March for Life going on today in Washington, D.C., one of many marches going on this weekend around the country, including one in uh, in St. Paul for our Minnesota friends, a lot of listeners in the Twin Cities. <clears throat> that gets underway with a, a Mass for Life at noon at the St. Paul Cathedral, the march on the Capitol, just a few blocks away at 2 on Sunday afternoon. Currently a poll showing, uh, despite, uh, you know, some mass media info the other way that 72 percent this is a marist uh, knights of columbus poll 72 percent of women think there should be limits of some sorts on abortion and uh, i don't know if that message is is getting out there enough one message that got out there early john was that supreme court leak and we still don't know who leaked the news about the roe v wade decision yeah it's pretty amazing that after all this time they still don't know uh, one other story that caught my attention uh, hall of fame uh, football coach tony dungy is going to be one of the speakers at the march and uh there are some people on the far left that are uh, calling him a right-wing extremist, which is absolutely outrageous. No, well-respected guy, well-respected from his days as a uh, football coach, as a, a father of uh, many adopted kids, uh, well-respected as an analyst on uh, NBC as well. Absolutely. He's a father of 11, eight of them are adopted. So uh, uh, my hat is off uh, for uh, Tony Dungy, who has the courage uh, to speak up for the unborn. Uh, as always, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn. We begin uh, each morning in prayer uh, today. Uh, let's pray in a special way, a memorari for life uh, through the powerful intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. A number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now, as you know, uh, today and this weekend is a special moment for, for the pro-life movement. Several marches and walks are going on, and they're going to take place across our country in opposition to abortion in anticipation of the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade on January 22nd. Yes, Roe was overturned last summer, but it doesn't mean that abortion has ended. This morning, we're going to be joined by uh, some very prominent national pro-life leaders from this historic March for Life in D.C., the first one since Roe was overturned last summer. This is the way that Bill Hemmer on Fox News uh, reported just after 10, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on June 24th of last year. The decision is out. It's been issued by Justice Alito and Roe v. Wade, according to our reports from the U.S. Supreme Court and our own Shannon Bream, is that Roe v. Wade has been overturned and the question of abortion has been returned to the states. 
What a moment in history it was. Uh, joining us live from the March for Life in Washington, D.C. for much more perspective is national pro-life advocate and leader Abby Johnson. Abby was a former clinic director of Planned Parenthood and is now the founder of And Then There Were None, a ministry designed to assist abortion clinic workers in transitioning out of the industry. Good morning, Abby. Thanks so much for joining us from uh, Washington. It is so good to be with you this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Abby, uh, it's been uh, nearly seven months, but what goes through your mind when you uh, just heard that announcement that Roe uh, was overturned uh, in in dramatic fashion on the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus? Well, I mean, that was certainly a a great day. Uh, We've had, you know, a lot of successes at the state level. Of course, where I live in Texas, uh, abortion was made illegal after Roe was overturned. So uh, definitely, you know, so glad to see Roe in the in the ash heap of history. Um, but of course, much, much more work to do. Abortion is still available in the overwhelming majority of states. We have our very bipartisan FDA that essentially greenlit medication abortion into every pharmacy. Um, in the United States and has, has really made, uh, turned every every woman's home into her own abortion clinic. So uh, much more work to do, but I believe the pro-life movement is is ready for the challenge. Yeah, the, uh, the situation with the abortion pill is really uh, the new frontier. In fact, uh, it was depicted uh, in, uh, in the movie, uh, Unplanned, uh, that uh, talked about uh, your, your own story. So this is a, something so important, and I know for you it's personal. Yeah, it is. The medication abortion pill is um, it's a dangerous drug, and it should be categorized as, as a dangerous drug. And every website that you go to nowadays, these pro-abortion websites, they will tell these women lies. They say things like, oh, the medication abortion pill is, is no different than taking a Tylenol. Um, it's incredibly deceiving. And I know firsthand what these women go through when they take these drugs. And... You know, we don't even know what is going to happen down the road. All of these women taking these pills and psychologically, what's going to happen to a whole society of women who have looked into a toilet and have seen their fully formed children uh, lying there in a toilet? Um, You know, we, we don't know. And... I think that we're going to to see um, increased rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, even um, in women. And, you know, who's addressing this? It's certainly not, you know, the American Psychological Association and uh, certainly not Planned Parenthood and these groups that are pushing these pills forward. So, you know, we as the pro-life movement have got to really start sounding the alarm and, and talking about this. Uh, so that women won't make the decision to take these drugs. 
Well, Abby, um, you've been on the front lines for a long time now, and obviously uh, you have a, a great perspective uh, on the ground. Uh, how do you see uh, post row America? What is it looking like uh, today here uh, on this uh, upcoming 50th anniversary of Roe? Well, you know, I, I think I think that there were a lot of people after Roe was overturned that had this faulty notion that since Roe was overturned that we were kind of done. And I think now people are saying, oh, wait, that that, that wasn't right. Uh, that wasn't correct. We, we still do have a lot of work to do. And so um, people do need to, to hear me when I say that. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, you know, it, it kind of, it made our work different. So we, we in a sense, um, gave our, our, ourselves more work because we took it from one federal battle to now 51 individual battles, if you include the, the uh, if you include D.C. So now we have 51 individual fights instead of just one, one fight uh, with the Supreme Court. And so, um, but what I know to be true is that the pro-life movement is strongest at the grassroots level. And um, I don't think most of us ever believed that abortion was going to be made unthinkable because of legislation. We believe that abortion is going to be made unthinkable because of conversations, because of conversions, um, because of transformations. And those happen through the work that's being done outside of abortion facilities, uh, pregnancy centers, one-on-one conversations that we're having, work that's being done in churches. So we have to really pick up the pace. Uh, We have to really double down on that conversion sort of work that we're doing. Well, there's no question that the, this is a, a historic and a, and a special march for life uh, this time around. First time since Roe was overturned. Uh, how is this going to be different uh, from your perspective than uh, previous marches? Well, I think there's a collective sigh of relief um, from from all pro-lifers um, that you know Roe Roe is is over. I think particularly for a lot of uh, women who have had abortions, like, like myself, I think it's um, definitely a, a sigh of relief. You know, we, for those of us who've had abortions, we know the, the damage that, that Roe has, has done, the significant damage that, that Roe caused to, to so many women. And um, so I think there, there is just gratefulness that, that Roe is gone um, but I think at this March, I think there's going to be a, a push just to continue the fight. And I think that is, that is going to be the message. So, you know, gratefulness and, um, you know, that the Lord has heard the prayers of so many over the years, but also just, you know, kind of where do we go from here? And I, I think um, that message is, is going to be loud and clear. Um, Abby, my, my understanding is is that the the, the marchers will march uh, past uh, the U.S. Capitol building. Uh, it, it, do you think that this is uh, an important uh, message that's being sent to the members of Congress? Well, I mean, yes. Um, 
I'm not sure that they are, are I think that they are, are trying to close their eyes to this and kind of stick their fingers in their ears. Um, I think that they are, are trying to be, I think that they're willfully ignorant to the fact that, um, you know, the overwhelming majority of Americans do not, um, they do not want what the Democratic Party is out here trying to sell. Um, the overwhelming majority of Americans do want limits on abortion. They do want restrictions. The Democratic Party is trying to push abortion with no restrictions, no limits, elective abortion on demand at any time, um, and the taxpayers you know, are going to foot the bill. And that's really just out of step with the majority of their own constituency. Um, and so I, I think that they are, you know, they're trying to act like that um, they know what Americans want, but Americans do not want what the Democratic Party is, is pushing. And so um, I wish that, that Congress would stick their heads out the window and, and see you know, the tens of thousands, you know, over 100,000 people that are going to be marching down the street um, because we are the people that are really in step with the bulk of Americans. And uh, Abby, obviously your organization has been doing some fantastic uh, work and then there were none uh, helping uh, uh, abortion clinic workers uh, to transition out of the industry. Uh, can you uh, share with us just a little bit of, of uh, how you've been working with them and just so many that have, that have left the abortion industry? Yeah, so we have quite a few actually here with us at the March for Life, which is just an amazing thing. Um, we've helped just at 640 former abortion workers uh, leave their jobs and um, get new jobs and, and come into a, a saving relationship with Christ. And um, many, many of those workers were fallen away Catholics, and they're now back into a, a sacramental relationship with Christ. So very exciting. And um, yeah, I mean, those workers have many of them have come out and they've said, you know what, I know things about this clinic that um, officials need to know, state officials need to know. So we've been able then to go back and shut down 27 of uh, of the clinic where these, these workers left. So God has been so good. He's been so gracious. And, um, and I think that, you know, our ministry is just a, a really good example that conversion is possible for every single person and um, that, that God's mercy, he, it waits for everyone. Well, Abby, uh, as you have said, uh, there's still a lot of work uh, to be done uh, to uh, make abortion unthinkable. And uh, I so much appreciate uh, your passion and everything that you've been doing for uh, the pro-life movement. And uh, thanks again for being with us uh, on this historic day from uh, the March for Life in Washington, D.C. Well, thank you so much. Many blessings to you. Abby Johnson, former Planned Parenthood Clinic Director and the founder of And Then There Were None. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary, will join us live from the March for Life in our nation's capital to talk about the importance of students in the pro-life movement. Stay with us as this special March for Life edition of Morning Air continues on this Friday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. And welcome back to this special March for Life edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. Every life is special, and every life has a purpose. The Lord knew you before you were conceived. The Lord knew you by your name when you were born and your specific mission in life. God is the author of life, and human life must be protected from the first moment of conception until he calls us home. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Again, our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888 Now, we are just hours away from the 50th annual March for Life in Washington, D.C., the first since Roe was overturned. This weekend, there will be marches for life uh, all across our nation in many different cities. There's the One Life LA in Los Angeles on Saturday and the West Coast Walk for Life in San Francisco as well. Why are these pro-life events uh, so important? Well, it all comes down to the value of life and the dignity of the human person. Listen to uh, some of the young people uh, that uh, were on hand uh, in front of the Supreme Court and their reaction the day that Roe was overturned. All right, we are live in front of the Supreme Court, where the U.S. Supreme Court has just released its decision on the case Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. You can see the crowd behind me. It's getting wild. It's getting loud. There's a lot of energy in this crowd. The culture of death that, that has just been lifted off of our nation, and we are now a culture of life again. And I am just so, we're in the middle of praying right when they announced it. So I'm just so grateful to God. And you're crying. Why are you crying? I'm crying because this is the most amazing thing that I've experienced. And if Roe would not have been passed in the first place, I would have more family. I just feel so privileged to be here on this day for such a historical moment. It really was a historical moment, which sets the stage uh, for today. Joining us live from our nation's capital is relevant radio contributor Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary, who is attending the March for Life with students from the University of Mary. Good morning, Monsignor Shea. Thanks so much uh, for joining us this morning uh, from Washington. Great to be with you again. Good morning, John. It's great to be with you as well on this historic day where, where pro-life leaders all over the country are converging here on Washington, D.C. for the 50th Annual March for Life. It's, a, it's an historic day. Well, Monsignor, it is a joy to, to be with you. Uh, how was the long trip from the University of Mary uh, to the march? Tell us a, a little bit about the trip and, and the, the students and teachers and everybody on hand. Well, we've got five buses here from the University of Mary, and we were leading a caravan, really. I think there are, there are nearly 10 buses uh, because we've got uh, high schools who join us as well. And so North Dakota is strong here at the March for Life. Yeah, the, the trip takes um, about 24 hours, a little bit longer on the road itself, but the spirits are strong and they're high. And the young people who are with us, the students of the University of Mary and the students of the Catholic high schools, of North Dakota 
are really, really here to witness for life, and they know why they're coming. And so I think that they took any inconvenience from the long bus ride uh, right in stride. Uh, it is uh, it is outstanding to hear the the high school kids uh, joining the University of of Mary uh, caravan of buses. This has really become a, a tradition for the University of Mary. I know you've been there many many times. Tell us a little bit about this tradition. Well, so you know, I I think I've been to the March for Life more than twenty times, probably twenty two times altogether. I went as a as a teenager. I was involved with Teens for Life, and then I was a, um, a college student here at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. But, you know, since I came to the University of Mary, we really have made an emphasis on, uh, on bringing our young people here to the March for Life, and there are a couple of reasons for that. We, we held hope that someday Roe versus Wade really would be overturned. You remember, John, you and I both remember when that was just a hope, uh, and something that we prayed for and something that we worked for. Now Roe is overturned. And and I think it's important for us, uh, those of us who have fought for life for so many years, to recognize that the torch has to be carried now by a new generation. And so I've always felt, I've, I've deeply believed, that one of the things that we could do that's formative for young, ardent, pro-life students is to bring them here to make sure that they know that they're not all alone. Their generation, of course, has suffered very deeply from the wound of abortion. Uh, It's been touched in a harmful way by the culture of death, and yet they are cheerful warriors for life. They hold the flame of the pro-life movement deep within them. And I always, when, when we march, there's a place where there's a surge on Constitution Avenue. And at, if, if you look at the right time, and I always stand right in front of our huge group, of course, today, we've got five buses of University of Mary students, and then several buses of high school students as well from North Dakota. I always get up in front of that big crowd. And I say, look around, turn back and look around. And at that surge, you can look around. And there behind you are hundreds of thousands of people. A sea, a great vast sea that almost seems never to end, stretching all the way down on the perimeter of the nation's uh, mall here at the Capitol. And so that, I think, gives those young people the hope and the grit that's necessary for the fight which lies ahead of us. In other words, the overturn of Roe versus Wade was the reversal of a tragic injustice uh, which had done deep harm and which was a which was a sort of weeping wound in the flesh of our nation. Now that it has been overturned, it's time for healing, but certainly the time for, for fighting for unborn children has not ended. We now have to have to attend to state restrictions, and we have to build a culture of life, supporting crisis pregnancy centers, educating people about life before birth and all of that, what that means, and assisting women who face difficult crisis pregnancies in every way that we possibly can, trying to build up a culture of life. That is a task for this rising generation. And so, John, this is a long answer to your question, but I believe that forming and shaping the hearts and minds of this rising generation is one of the most important things that we can do as pro-life people. That's why I've brought so many young people here to the 50th Annual March for Life. 
Well, Monsignor, it's always uh, so uplifting to see all those young faces, and they come from all over. You see all these buses from Catholic high schools and Catholic universities that uh, that come to the march. I remember uh, 10 years ago for the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the crowd was the largest ever, 600,000-plus. And I would say probably 90% of the people on hand were young people. Uh, they called themselves uh, the pro-life generation. Now they're calling themselves uh, the post-row generation. That's right. So this is one of the things which I've noticed through the years, coming to the march as many times as I've come. The march has grown more and more prayerful, first of all, which is really important because, as St. Paul reminds us, we don't do battle against the powers of this world. We don't have primarily the people in this world are not fundamentally our enemies. They're our brothers and sisters. We're doing battle against principalities and powers, against darkness, which is unseen. And so that prayerfulness of the march, the increasing prayerfulness of it has been very, very beautiful to see. And the other thing is that the march has gotten younger and younger and more joyful. And that I think is important as well, because I I do remember um, when there was a time when the pro-life movement had a more more of a siege mentality to it. And I think that, that in the end, the conquering joy of the gospel really has over, overtaken and overcome the movement in a way which is really beautiful. And a lot of that can be chalked up to the increasing exponential growth and presence of young people who are, as you say, the post-Roe generation. Um, Monsignor, um, how long have you been on the ground? Have you had a chance to get a feel for the atmosphere, the mood uh, from uh, all the, the young people that are on hand there in anticipation of today's march? Sure. So I'm not down at the Capitol Mall right yet. I'm at our hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. There are many other groups here in our same hotel, people from Wisconsin who have come with Wisconsin Right to Life and others. And I think that there's a quiet excitement and expectation uh, that I've seen from the people in the hotel lobby. In just a little bit, we're going to make our way to St. Dominic's Church, which is the Dominican Church, uh, right on the perimeter of the, na- the National Mall. And we'll have Mass there with all of the pilgrims together uh, from our area. And then we'll make our way to the, uh, to the National Mall, which is where the Rally for Life is going to be. And of course, one of our dear friends, uh, is going to be there, uh, Jana uh, Emanuela Mola, the, the daughter of St. Jana, for whom the University of Mary's uh, School of Health Sciences uh, is named. Jana told me that she's going to be up on the stage today, and so that was very, very exciting for us. And, of course, that's one of the things that we're so intent on. So many of the students whom we brought here are our health sciences students, and we're trying to form them not simply to be pro-life leaders for the future, but pro-life leaders in the critical area of healthcare. That's why we place so much emphasis on the health sciences. That's why we put our school of, um, of health sciences under the patronage of St. John of Bredamola. That's why we've launched this year our tuition for nursing academy. We need pro-life leaders in the world, and we need them specially in the healthcare field. And so many of those uh, students are here with us today. So there's a, I think there's a quiet expectation in the air, uh, and there's a sense really in which we need to have hearts of thanksgiving today. It's the first time we've marched to our nation's capital after Roe versus Wade has been overturned. There's a lot of work to do, but it's important for us, just like 
when I said that we we turn around and look back on Constitution Avenue and see all of the, the, the throng, the surging crowd behind us, so too today as a movement, the pro-life movement should look back and see all of the blood, sweat, and tears, all of the prayer and effort, all of the hope that we've poured into the overturn of Roe versus Wade, and then look to the forward and look forward as well, look to the future, knowing that God is going to be with us and guide us every step of the way as we continue to fight for those who have no voices, as we continue to stand for the unborn. Well, Monsignor Shea, um, there's always a, a great lineup of speakers uh, at, the, at the March for Life uh, rally. Uh, Jeannie Mancini, who will be joining us on Monday, does a great job emceeing uh, that event. Uh, among the speakers is um, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch, uh, who won the Dobbs Supreme Court case that overturned a row. And um, NFL Hall of Famer uh, Coach Tony Dungy uh, will be uh, also on hand. Uh, he will be uh, one of the speakers uh, at this year's march. So it's uh, it's very exciting. Those are just some of the names. Uh, there's many others, uh, Monsignor. Uh, this this is really uh, really very special uh, for all the, the young kids from the University of Mary. No, well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say to them, John. The only pro-life celebrity they're missing is John Morales on the stage today. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Oh, uh, you're you're, you're uh, too kind. I, I tell you what, I, I've had the opportunity to 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 be to many of those marches. Uh, the, the feeling is unbelievable. Just like you, I haven't been to twenty plus like you have, Monsignor. But uh, I got enough of a taste uh, for for what it's like. And this one, I I really believe will be uh, a truly special. Can you talk about the significance of marching past uh, the U.S. Capitol building? Traditionally, it always ends uh, in front of the Supreme Court, and there's a big converging of kids and the pro-choicers always show up at the end. How will this time be a little different? Right. So Jeannie Mancini, who you mentioned, who's the head of the March for Life, she took the mantle from Nellie Gray. It was Nellie Gray who decided the year after Roe that she would start this March for Life. And so the March for Life has been going on now for 50 years. It's been going on since the very beginning. And Jeannie Mancini has assumed leadership of uh, the March for Life um, since Nellie Gray's passing away. And so Jeannie's done an amazing job, and she was actually at my house. She was at the residence um, uh, at the University of Mary in October of this past year, and she and I were talking about, well, what's going to happen? How is the march going to take uh, shape and all of these things? And the decision was made, as you say, that even though it's ended every single year, every single year since 1974, on the front step, on the front steps of the uh, since 1973, on the front steps of the um, of the Supreme Court building. This year, it's going to the Capitol. The reason for that is obvious uh, from the vantage of uh, the pro-life strategy. Now, because Roe versus Wade has been overturned, the the question of the of the legality of abortion in the United States has returned to the state legislatures and to the national legislature as well. In other words, what we're going to do is we're going to go to the, to the national capital today because now it's not the Supreme Court uh, which holds the baton, so to speak. It is, uh, it is our elected officials, those who represent us in Congress and in state legislatures. And so the hope today is that we're making a witness to all of those who make the laws in this country, both in the House of Representatives and the Senate, that we're wanting them to protect the Hyde Amendment 
certainly, and we're wanting them as well to continue to pass pro-life legislation which treasures the unborn child and and um, protects human life from conception to natural death. And so that's why we're going to the, to the national capital today as a, a demonstration and a symbol of the new hopes of the pro-life movement. Monsignor Shea, uh, Jeannie Mancini, the president of the March for Life, uh, said this year will be a somber reminder of the millions of lives lost to abortion the past 50 years, but also a celebration of how far we have come. 64 million unborn children have perished, Monsignor. We can never forget them. That's absolutely true. And she and I did talk about that as well when we were discussing this year's March for Life. You know, if you go to the Holocaust Museum here in Washington, D.C., when you emerge into sort of the colonnade, into the great atrium at the end after you visited the museum, they have the inscription from Deuteronomy, not to ever forget. And we can never forget all of those who have perished, all the hearts that all the beating hearts that have been stopped and all of the hearts that have been broken by abortion, we have to commemorate them with deep sorrow, even as we look with great hope and joy to the future. Monsignor, it has been a joy to be with you uh, live uh, from the March for Life. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. Thanks for having me, John. Prayers for you and for all of our listeners here from our nation's capital as we, as we continue to march for life. God bless you. Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg will look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Stay with us. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Our Gospel reading for this third Sunday at an Ordinary Time comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. He walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, They were in a boat with their father Zebedee mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. He went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, 
in curing every disease and illness among the people. Time now for an in-depth look at that gospel reading for the third Sunday in Ordinary Time out of Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 12. To join us for that look, the Bishop of Reno, Nevada, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg. Happy New Year, Bishop Muggenberg. Great to have you along. Happy New Year to you too, Glenn. Well, we dive in here with uh, the great story of our Lord starting to round up his disciples. And uh, what spurs this on isn't just, well, okay, it's time. Well, in God's timing, it is, of course, but uh, the imprisonment of John the Baptist. Yeah, Matthew's gospel is really rather interesting in that it shows us that Jesus's ministry is actually prompted by Herod's arrest of John. Not only is Jesus motivated to start his ministry by this act of injustice, but um, Matthew tells us that Jesus actually went to Galilee to start that ministry. So he's going to the very area where Herod held power. So he's really going to the heart of, of, the, uh, of, of the place of injustice to begin to manifest the kingdom of God. And Jesus is showing us a very proactive response of how we are to respond to situations in our world today as well. Well, sometimes it is that persecution of our faith that motivates us to work harder. You know, when you look at the lives of the great saints and the martyrs especially, their greatest acts of heroism and, and really faith, um, the most inspirational acts were always done in the face of, of the greatest evil and the greatest injustice. And there is something about that, that, you know, when the human spirit responds with, with love and mercy in the face of hatred and cruelty, um, then we become lights shining in a darkness. And I think that's what Jesus was doing in, uh, in beginning his ministry in this way and healing the people and calling his first disciples. And just like today, he doesn't do it by himself. He enlists our help as he started to do that day. He did. As we see the call of the first disciples, we, we see that Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And um, as he's walking by, he issues this invitation um, to Peter and Andrew and then to James and John. And they respond with a readiness uh, that really is meant to inspire and encourage us to not hesitate and not procrastinate on every invitation that we have to follow the Lord, no matter what the sacrifice that may be involved. You never know when that call comes. It was a gospel study in John, actually, several years ago, several decades ago now, that uh, the study question was to answer, what's your call? What are you feeling called to do right now? And uh, that got me headed toward Christian radio. So watch out when you get that call. But uh, it was kind of interesting as well, of course. He was using some of the professional skills to make them not only fishers of fish, but fishers of men. We think that being a fisherman was, you know, just kind of a fun you know, thing that they did. and But we lose sight of the fact that this was actually their daily occupation. So it took a lot of skill. It took a lot of hard work. Uh, it took a lot of problem solving. Uh, it took a lot of perseverance, you know, to be able to find the fish, bring them in, get them to the shore, etc., and so Jesus is saying to the disciples, you know, those same skills are going to be really important in the ministry of the gospel. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to uh, problem solve. You know, you're going to have to figure out what's the best way to catch the fish. And so he wants them to use their skills but to use them now for the advancement of the gospel. And that's a message for all of us, because all of us have talents, skills, aptitudes that we're good at. And maybe we're, we've only put them to use in our secular world or you know, our hobby world. But the reality is that they can also be used to advance the gospel. And so Jesus wants us to do that as good stewards and good disciples. 
doesn't always shake out that we get to have our professional job doing things we really enjoy doing. I feel blessed to get to do that through radio, but there are so many things that we enjoy doing or even that we know how to do that we can all bring to bear on the work of the church. That's very true. There, there's there's no shortage of ways that we can advance the gospel and um, uh, show our love of God and love of neighbor um, when we put ourselves at the service of, of whatever whatever mission, whatever apostle that there is. Um, a person only really has to look at their uh, parish bulletin, hopefully, to see opportunities or maybe contact their diocesan office and see what opportunities there are uh, for them to become involved in the mission. And then, you know, uh, it'll become clearer of how they can use their specific talents once they get to know the ministries taking place. We might think erroneously, oh, you know, this was 2,000 years ago, they had a boat and net and not much else going on. But uh, as you mentioned, this was kind of a big deal business at the time. He had partners, he had his brother, there were people involved, equipment, boats, nets, family. We learned that he had a mother-in-law. So a lot of considerations had to go into making that decision. It wasn't just a Okay, nothing's you know nothing's going on in the lake today. Uh, let's follow this guy. Absolutely, you know when we hear the story of the call of the disciples and how readily they respond, our immediate conclusion is that you know they weren't as busy as we are. You know they didn't have obligations like we have. But as you observe, you know they did have obligations. They had a business. They had you know uh, resources that they were using. They had clients who were depending on them. They had families that were depending on them. But nonetheless, you know, Jesus will tell us in the gospel that we should not be so strangled by the cares and concerns of this world that we lose sight of the of the invitation to follow him. And uh, and he will tell us later on through various parables about people, you know, who are actually trapped by relationships or by possessions and unable to respond to the invitation of discipleship because of that. But what we see in these disciples is is an amazing readiness and an amazing detachment, a spiritual detachment that does not dismiss the importance of relationships or possessions, but rather places them at the service of the gospel rather than letting them be a hindrance to the gospel. And that's that's really something that should inspire us because uh, Jesus is going to challenge all of us um, to uh, follow him and to make him the highest priority in our lives. And if anything or anyone else has a greater priority, then we will not be able to accept that invitation. When we look at uh, the lives of the disciples, as they were called, they were they were busy. They had things going on, as as we do today. And sometimes to to make that choice, there are a lot of things to sort through, a lot of conversations to have, even difficult ones at times. I know in the the early road, and again, I've been blessed for a couple decades to work with Relevant Radio. But the the early days of some of the small, very small, struggling Christian stations, a couple of them got sold, and to be able to persuade my wife that, uh, yeah, okay, I went back to a more stable classic rock job, but I really, really, really called to, to do this Christian thing, and here comes another opportunity. Is that something in your experience too, Bishop Muggenberg, that you'll find God will make that call strong enough to kind of lead us through the weeds sometimes? I think the Lord does offer us repeated opportunities when He does want us to move in a particular direction. It really does come down to just trusting, trusting that God has our best interest in mind, and that um, if we have the desire to do God's will, that that desire is in itself pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord can work with that. The Lord will shape that. The Lord will guide that. Um, but having the desire to do God's will is probably the most important and fundamental disposition. 
And maybe, too, any final thoughts about doing that call where we're at? That, that call might not be to, to drop everything and uh, become full-time religious, but it might be to be more involved in the current environment that we're in and to, and to look at that as a call that we can fulfill without waiting for something someday way out there. True. You know, the fundamental call is to follow Jesus to follow Jesus in each moment and in each situation. And so even as we go through our days and our professional lives or our family lives, simply repeating that prayer of, of Lord Jesus, what is it that you want me to do in this moment or in this situation? And it's actually just asking that prayer will help guide us through our decisions, our conversations, um, and uh, all of the other things that we have to deal with. And so following Jesus doesn't mean that we walk away from, you know, the world, um, but rather that we bring into the world the values and, 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 and the Christ witness that the world needs. So, um, you know, just as Jesus didn't flee the difficult situation of Galilee, he went right into it, but he went right into it, bringing the kingdom of God. And so Jesus wants us to do the same thing, to bring the kingdom of God um, into uh, whatever situation we're facing. Again, it can be in our office, it can be in our home, our neighborhood, our friendships, but to be the vehicle of the kingdom of God, just as Jesus was. Great reflection, Bishop Muggenberg, on a call very appropriate for us today as well. We thank you for that, and uh, thank you kindly, if you would, to, to wrap us up with your blessing this week. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, who always calls us to follow Him each day, grant us the freedom, the generosity, and the courage to accept that invitation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today, in the heart of a very tough time of year for homeless people, is John Paul II and the Homeless Man. There's a famous story in the Vatican about a homeless person of Polish origin who usually stayed in Rome. Didn't speak to anyone, not even the Caritas volunteers who brought him a hot meal in the evening. Only after a long time did they manage to get him to tell his story. He said, I'm a priest. I know your Pope well. We studied together in seminary. Word arrived to St. John Paul II, who heard the name, confirmed he was in seminary with him and wanted to meet him. They embraced after 40 years, and at the end of the audience, the Pope asked the priest, who'd been his companion in seminary, to hear his confession. Now it's your turn, Pope John Paul II said, and his companion from seminary went to confession with the Pope. Thanks to the gesture of one volunteer, a hot meal, a few words of comfort, and a look of kindness, this person recovered and resumed a normal life that led him to become a hospital chaplain. The Pope helped him. Certainly, this is a miracle, but also an example to say that homeless people have a great dignity. Luke 12, 6 and 7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two small coins? Yet not one of them has escaped the notice of God. Even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Coming up next hour on this special March for Life edition of Morning Air, Catholic attorney marrying Helen Fiorito will join us live from the March for Life, along with Kristen Hawkins, the president of the Students for Life of America, and Dr. Pat Castle, the president of Life Runners, will all be with us from the march with their take on this post-Roe America. Stay with us. There is much more to come on this March for Life special edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.